the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, broadcasting from my law office in San Jose and the Cambrian Park area of San Jose, if you're familiar with that. It has been a bumpy ride for the last several months. I think we can all agree with that. It is somewhat encouraging that um, that more parts of the state are going to be able to ease some restrictions and more businesses will be able to open up, um, at least at limited capacity, so that um, maybe some more businesses will be able to survive this pandemic. I uh, I am... Uh, also thrilled as a Disney fan to read that Disneyland may be able to open uh, a little bit later in this year here, at limited capacity, obviously. Uh, my family are actually annual pass holders, so we were a little bit uh, dismayed to hear that the annual pass holder program for Disneyland has been uh, completely shelved now by Disney. Uh, we understand why, though. We understand that you, you can't kind of reopen a place like Disneyland with uh, close to a million annual pass holders outstanding and expect the place to be, um, uh, expect to not have everybody show up on day one. It's, uh, you know, think of like a Black Friday sale where 2,000 people line up outside of the store and then they open the doors and what often happens uh, People come rushing in. There's a crush of people as they come in, and people sometimes get injured or even killed. I don't think that would happen at Disneyland, but still with the pent-up demand after after right now approaching uh, a year of being shut down, I suspect the pent-up demand will be such that uh, they're, they're going to have to be very careful as they reopen. Um, and the annual pass holder program kind of had to go away because who would pay for an annual pass that you can't use whenever you want to? I think that's kind of the whole point of it. Uh, in the case of my family, we would typically go at least three times a year for three or four days at a time because it's within driving range of the of the Bay Area. We'd drive down, stay there, uh, spend two or three days in the park. Because we had an annual pass, we didn't feel like we had to spend every waking moment of every day down there in the park. We could actually enjoy ourselves and go back to the hotel, rest, maybe come back in the evening to catch a show or the fireworks or something like that. But uh, 
now we'll have to be more uh, more deliberate with our trips to Disneyland. So those of you out there who are Disney fans, I think, especially if you're annual pass holders like my, my family is, uh, you're probably feeling a little bit of our pain right now. But as long as they reopen and as long as they're able to do it safely and we can start getting back to some semblance of normalcy here in California, I think that would be a good thing overall. I'm available to call if you have any questions you'd like answered by me on the air to the extent I'm able to do that. It's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. I will not be taking any calls or answering any questions about Proposition 19. Um, The time to actually take action on Proposition 19 is almost completely run out. Um, I think that the likelihood is that now there really aren't any attorneys left in the Bay Area, perhaps even in the state of California, that have any time left to help any more people. Um, the, the, the problem with what we're facing right now in the legal profession with Proposition 19 is it's kind of like this. Proposition 19 was passed by the voters back in November. It was kind of like an iceberg that was released right in the path of the Titanic called Everybody Who Owns Real Estate Here in California. Prop 19 has struck the Titanic. The Titanic is starting to sink. People who found out that it was sinking early on were able to rush to and get into one of the lifeboats being offered by attorneys. And unfortunately, some of those lifeboats are actually not going to work to save those families. But I would estimate that maybe less than 1% of families in California that are affected by Proposition 19 will actually be able to get anything done to deal with Proposition 19 before the deadline of February 16th, which is almost upon us. We're only really uh, two and a half weeks. So the effective deadline is actually... Um, February 11th, but paperwork can be signed and deeds can be signed and everything up to uh, February 15th. Even though they can't be recorded right away, they can still be signed and that will count as a transfer. But I bring this up uh, to suggest to all of you, if you own a home, if you own rental property, contact your assembly person in California, contact your state senator, complain to them long and loud about Proposition 19 and this deadline that was thrown in, giving almost no time at all for families to really do planning to deal with Prop 19. See if the legislature will do emergency legislation to extend the deadline, maybe six months, maybe three months, but just extend the deadline so that more families who want to be saved have the opportunity to be saved. So the legislature has the ability to build more lifeboats for California property owners. Uh, But if they don't do it, then on February 16th, the law takes effect and, and it will be very serious consequences for many, many families. And like the Titanic, which took a while to sink in this case, the, the Titanic will be sinking for years and years and years. And every day, every week, there will be more and more families that are destroyed or drowned in the sinking because of the effects of Prop 19. So 
If you'd like to talk about anything else, like I said, anything else, 800-516-1220. You could also email me at radio at lawbob.com if you'd like to send me a message that way. That would be fine as well. Um, But I'm going to follow my usual format today of questions and comments from around the state of California. And I'm going to lead off with one right here. We only have a couple minutes till the first break, but I'm going to get a couple in here. Um, Someone says, I'm not able to refinance my house because there are names um, on the title as co-trustees with me, and I'm not able to find them. I am the grantor, meaning the creator of the trust, and the trustee as well. Well, here's the deal. If you're the one who created the trust and it's a revocable trust, then presumably you're the one that can hire and fire co-trustees with you. And uh, if that's the case, you could file paperwork, uh, notice of change of trustee, uh, and then remove their names and indicate the reason they're being removed is because you, the grantor, have removed them as trustees. Record that. That would clear the title into just your name as the trustee, and then you'd be able to go through with your refinance. If it's an irrevocable trust we're talking about, then the, it may have some means for removing a, uh, a co-trustee who is not available or un- unwilling or unable to serve, then you'd have to follow those. In an extreme case, you might actually have to go to court to have these uh, tr- co-trustees removed from the title. Hopefully, that would not be the case. So, coming up on the first break of the show today, if you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220, like the call number of the station. Or radio at lawbob.com if you'd like to send me an email with your question to have me answer on the air. So this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I'll continue the show today after the first break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, here's one out of Los Angeles, you know, that that sleepy little town in Southern California. You've probably heard of it. Um, Real property is in a revocable trust and is in a contract for sale. What if my mom, who is the grantor, the owner of that trust, dies while the sale is pending? Do I still get the stepped up basis on the property or should I convey it to the heirs and redo the sales contract? Well, if the property, first of all, if the property's in a trust and there's pro, and there's real estate being sold out of the trust right now, and then the grantor of the trust, who's also the trustee, dies during the sale, the successor trustee would be able to take over and complete the sale. But the question about the stepped-up basis, what's talked about there is something called cost basis, which is the number that is used to calculate whether or not you have taxable income tax capital gain when you sell a capital asset. Now, a capital asset is something that you can buy and sell. It may go up or down in value. And if you sell it for more than what you paid for it, you will owe capital gains tax. 
if you sell it for less than what you paid for it, you will have what's called a capital loss. And capital gains are taxed at a special tax rate at the federal level, and then they're taxed as ordinary income in the state of California. But when a person dies owning an interest in a capital asset, such as a house or a commercial property, then their interest gets what's called a step-up in basis. It could also be a step-down, not as common. But a step-up means that we don't care anymore what the person owe, what their, excuse me, what their tax basis is. If they were to sell it, they'd pay tax on everything above that. Instead, what happens is that basis gets revalued to the market value of the property on the date of death of the owner. Uh, example. Um, mom owned her house. Uh, she bought it for $500,000. Today it's worth $1.3 million. Um, if mom sells the house, uh, she'd get her half million dollars back. She'd be able to take another quarter million dollars, which is a special tax rule uh, without tax. But then she would pay capital gains income tax on everything above that that she cleared out of the sale. But if mom dies while the sale is pending, then that means it gets revalued to the market value on the date of death of mom. And then only if it ends up selling in that escrow and netting out more than the date of death value will there be any taxable gain. Otherwise, all of the appreciation or the growth in value of that property gets sheltered from the income tax. That's a huge benefit. And in this person out of Los Angeles, if I was talking to them right now, I'd say, yeah, there's a stepped up basis on your mother's property that was, uh, and that's actually kind of like, it just worked out that way. Your mother died during the escrow, and now that means there won't be any income tax, likely won't be any income tax at all on the sale proceeds. Uh, you don't convey it to the heirs and then redo the sales contract. That would be pointless. Successor trustee could actually take over and complete the sale uh, and collect the, the proceeds and then start doing the administration of mom's trust. Okay, here, um, this is out of Fresno, a sleepy little town out in, in the, at the southernmost tip of the, the Central Valley. Um, says, my grandma created a trust and was the sole trustee. She had some medical issues come up and we thought she was going to pass. So she resigned as trustee and made her grandson the sole trustee. Since she's no longer the trustee, does she still have the ability to amend the trust or change the beneficiaries? The answer is, as long as grandma is mentally competent to do so, she is the creator of the trust, what we call the settlor or grantor or trustor, and she has the right to make any changes she wants to her revocable trust because it's a revo if it's a revocable trust, she can make any changes that she wants. So she resigned and made her grandson the trustee. She could decide, I'm well enough again. You don't need to be the trustee anymore, and she becomes the trustee again. The fact that she's no longer the trustee in charge of things does not mean that it changes her rights as the trustor or grantor to make changes to the trust itself. So, yes, she would have the ability to amend her trust 
or change the beneficiaries as long as she is mentally competent to do so. Okay, um, rental property inside a revocable trust that turned into an irrevocable trust due to the death of the grantor of the trust. That is typically what would happen. A revocable or changeable trust turns into an irrevocable or unchangeable trust when the creator of the trust dies. Question, does the beneficiary of this trust have the same asset protection as a normal irrevocable trust? Well, the answer to that question is a definitive yes, no, or maybe. The answer is yes if the property is left in the irrevocable trust for the benefit of the beneficiary and it's left even uh, uh, either for a certain amount of time before it's distributed to the beneficiary or it's left in trust for the lifetime of the beneficiary, what I call uh, an, a castle trust, an asset-protected castle trust, and then it would have asset protection as if it was an irrevocable trust set up before the owner died. Uh, the answer would be no if it just says distribute the property to the beneficiary. Well, then the irrevocable trust really has no asset protection qualities for the beneficiary because they are entitled to receive the property. And if you're absolutely entitled to receive the property, you cannot hide it behind the wall of an irrevocable trust. A creditor could come along and say, well, the trust says you're entitled to the property, therefore I can take it. And then the maybe is, I don't really know how this trust is drafted, so I can't really answer definitively yes or no. So the answer might be maybe. Um, if I could look at the trust itself, I could give a more definitive answer on that. Okay. Um, so looking here. Yeah, looking here, it looks like I may have roughly... Uh, I think roughly a minute to go in this uh, in this segment. So uh, someone asked a question, is a consultant and a lawyer eternally the same thing? Is $1,000 to create a revocable living trust a reasonable price to pay a consultant? I assume when someone's asking a question like this, they're talking about having their estate plan done by someone who is not a lawyer, whether it's online or a document preparation service, or a paralegal who says that they do estate plans, or an accountant or someone like that. I will tell you that um, I don't know if it's reasonable or not, I don't, but I will say I don't think you should have someone other than an attorney prepare your estate plan for you. So we're coming up on the mid-show break. After the break, we'll come back and continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman. See you on the other side of the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back, Bay Area. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, again, you can always call in 800-516-1220 if you'd like to ask me a question on the air. Uh, my engineer is standing by to take your call. So here's one out of San Diego. That's another one of those little towns in Southern California, sleepy little town, uh, borders on the ocean there. Maybe you've been there. I hear they have a place that has 
uh, animals and aquatic animals, something like that. And there's also a place where uh, down there in, near San Diego that, gosh, I mean, uh, you can go in and you can play with blocks like a kid. Um, sounds like quite a bit of fun. So this person says, is asking, how can I protect myself? My mother put her home title in my name. I guess maybe put my name on her home title, maybe with mom, but did not remove it from the will. Can my brothers proceed against me? Well, let's assume what they mean here is that mom put son on the title with her and then mom died. And if she put her put him on the title as, say, joint tenants, that would mean the house is now his. Um, but did not remove it from the will. Well, question is, was the property specifically identified in the will as I have the property at 123 Main Street in San Diego, California, and it's to go to my three children? Um, the real question is this. Can the brothers challenge mom putting the the other sibling on the title of her house? Uh, they might be able to challenge that if they can prove that mom, at the time she did that, either lacked the legal capacity to do that or that the child who received title uh, was actually acting in a way as to exert undue influence on mom, inducing her to put him on the title of the property uh, when she really, um, you know, he misled her, he threatened to not help her, uh, he just threatened her, things like that. Those things are often very hard to prove. Um, so there's nothing to stop the brothers challenging that, going to court and challenging the property, passing to this person, asking the question. It doesn't mean that they will win. Um, and uh, and uh, and so just to kind of put that all in perspective, uh, there could be a challenge that may or may not be successful. Um, and as I've said many, many times um, over, over the last uh, two, three years, um, you can't stop someone from filing a lawsuit against you, but you, you can often win and their lawsuit is not successful. Okay, so I understand I have a caller, Ken, is that correct? Uh, yes. Yes, and who am I speaking with? Uh, Ken. Just first name? Yeah. What's your first name? Oh, your, uh, my first name is Ken. Oh, okay, like my engineer, okay. Um, yeah. All right, so you're calling from San Diego. I just mentioned that sleepy little town down there on the ocean. Um, yes, although so, there's rain uh, today. <laughs> there's rain today, okay. Well, then there's maybe even more sleeping going on than usual, because who wants to go out in rain? <laughs> I spent a lot of time indoors the last few days up here in the Bay Area. It's been pouring its eyes out up here. Okay, yeah, uh, so yeah. um, what's your question for me, Ken? Okay, so uh, this is in regard to rental property. Um, I have heard on uh, talk uh, radio programs a situation where if you've got a lease uh, that, say, people signed uh, for a year, but then it lapsed to month to month and that they've been maybe in the house for some long period, 10, 15 years, whatever. 
that uh, the, the crux of it was that uh, they actually, in do- so doing, acquire some um, ownership or some uh, value in the house. And I'm just wondering that they are that they have. Uh, I was wondering if that is true or if that. Okay, is, uh, so so some other talk show, obviously not mine. Um, opined that if a tenant lives a long time in a property on a month-to-month that they get some kind of property interest in the property? Yes. Well, I I will say just basic landlord-tenant law is if you pay to be in a property, all you have is, is a tenancy interest. You don't acquire any ownership interest in the property. Now, it's possible that there are some cities... Um, that have passed ordinances that give some kind of right to stay if someone's been in a property for a long time or give them a longer time to be given notice to vacate the property uh, so that someone else can be moved in or so that the owner can move in. I mean, I know San Francisco um, has has an ordinance kind of like that. I don't practice up there, but I know they have a very burdensome ordinance for landlords in the city where where a landlord may literally have to pay the tenant money to move so the tenant mm-hmm. can relocate someplace else. Uh, but that's right. not an ownership interest in the property, although I would argue as as a constitutionalist that it is effectively a taking by by a city that passes a law like that, which means actually it is an ownership interest given to the tenant. Um, and if you're forced to pay the tenant to move, then the tenant kind of has now some kind of right to the property. Um, but as far as just acquiring a right to the property because you've lived there a long time, no. The only way you can acquire an interest in property you've lived in a long time uh, is if you live on that property and you don't pay rent, and you pay the property taxes, and you stay there openly and notoriously for a certain number of years, you could go to court and file a quiet title action and basically uh, take over uh, the property, claiming that basically I'm squatting here, and I've been here for years, and I've been paying the taxes, and no one else has tried to throw me off, so after a certain amount of time, it's my property. Well, that's not the case if someone's paying rent. So if they're paying rent right. every month, you can't acquire title right. um, title in that way. So yeah. I'm not sure. That was certain, certainly my understanding. So you uh, corroborated what, what I felt was the case. So. <laughs> yeah, again, it, w- without hearing what was said on some other show, uh, it may be that there was a piece that was left out or a piece that wasn't real clear or something you don't specifically recall. Um, right. But really, I think the only thing close would be a city that has an ordinance that says that you have to give some a tenant a certain amount of time to relocate. Uh, and, and in San Francisco, you may have to pay them for the privilege of moving them out of your property, even if you're going to move in to occupy it as your own residence. I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, I, yes, I would never. I would never own that. rental property in San Francisco for that reason, or Berkeley yeah, for a similar reason. Yeah, um, um, 
I won't mention the name, but I did hear this on one of the hosts on KDO, KDOW. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as I know, I'm the only attorney that is a host on KDOW. Yeah, no, it, it, he, he's not an attorney. He's more of a financial guy. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, but anyway, um, uh, yeah. In any uh, event, uh, I don't know if it's a local host exactly. or if it's a national host, um, mm-hmm. because we have both on KDOW. I mean, the yeah. uh, many of the, the, right. the daytime hosts and early morning are actually local, um, but many yeah. of them are national. They're national feeds. Yeah. But right. um, in any event, I mean, if you wanted to, I mean, if you wanted to privately email me who the host is, maybe I could contact them and get clarification of what they said. Actually, that's, and, and that's a great idea. Uh, I was thinking of that myself, and I, I appreciate the offer. So I will, uh, I will email you and uh, and uh, give you more uh, details on on how okay. who it was. Because I'd hate to think that a co-host is actually inadvertently giving out bad information. Uh, and maybe even yeah, that's bad legal the way it advice. Struck me. <laughs> yeah. But, well, that's uh, how it would strike so, me if so I heard I, it on the air. I'm. I'd probably know, break my uh, finger trying to way. dial the show and say "taint so." <laughs> um, okay. Years ago, I did landlord-tenant law, so I know quite a bit about it. I know it's evolved yeah. since years ago, but still, right. the basic landlord-tenant law is you don't acquire uh, an interest in your landlord's property just because you happen to be sitting there a long time. Yeah, because the thing that occurred to me was, you know, there's no bill of sale. There's, uh, I mean, all those things have to be in place for the purchase of the property or or to gain interest in it. Uh, it's not like the rent is payment toward purchase. It's, it's a or lease. There has to be there has to be a statute like the adverse possession statute that allows mm-hmm. you to acquire a property by parking on it for, I believe it's five years, and paying the property taxes five years, and then you can apply right. to the court and say, give me the property because whoever owns the property didn't care enough to evict me and hasn't paid taxes. I've paid all the taxes. So really, right. give it to me. I'll keep paying the taxes, and I'll do something with the property. That's very right. uncommon, but it can be done. It yeah. can be done. It could certainly happen oh. if the owner, property owner had died and the family didn't do anything about it. Um, right. Then it could be done. Okay. Well, very good. I, I okay. appreciate your uh, your feedback. So I'll I'll send you an email. Okay. Well, thank you for calling. Okay. Very good. Bye. Okay. So I think we have roughly a minute to go in this segment, um, or thirty seconds. <laughs> so when I come back after the break, I'll wrap up the show today um, with some more questions and comments from around the state of California, and then maybe. Uh, a few closing remarks. Um, in the meantime, though, uh, listen to the commercials, patronize the people advertising on my show. I appreciate that. And we'll talk with you after the final break today. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And we're back for the final segment of our show today. And I've got just a few more questions and comments to cover, and then um, and then we'll call it quits for the day until I come back next Friday. Uh, to let you know in advance, I will likely be doing a pre-recorded show for 
two Fridays from now. That's the week of uh, Valentine's Day week. Um, I don't know if I will be back in town uh, from vacation. I think I will be back. Um, uh, no, I now I think about it, I will be coming back on that Friday. So I'll probably pre-record a show that can be run uh, or else I'll have uh, one of my prior shows run again while I am returning from vacation. Okay, uh, so here is out of Santa Barbara, another one of those little towns uh, along the coast. Father, mother, and son are all joint tenants on son's house. How should now be only in son's name? We were told to use a grant deed stating father and mother grant their two-thirds 66.6% interest to son. But the grant deed wording does not mention who already owns the other one-third. Is this correct? Answer. Yes, that's perfectly correct. Uh, the parents only have a two-thirds interest they could grant. So a deed that says they grant their two-thirds interest to the son transfers the interest they actually have. Uh, it says there's no mention the son already owns a third. That's right. So could we mention on the deed that after it's filed, the son will be 100% owner? You could do that, but it really wouldn't change the outcome uh, because by transferring two-thirds to the son who already who has a one-third, the son will end up with 100% of the property, and that's all you really need to do. Okay, here's one out of Lancaster, uh, Southern California. California's requiring a notarized affidavit to close my mother's account after her unexpected death. I wasn't listed on the account or as beneficiary, but I'm her only daughter. There's approximately $1,000 in the account, and they won't close it until 40 days after her death. That is correct. It's what's called a small estate affidavit, and it has to be at least 40 days since someone's died before you can use that small estate affidavit in order to take over, um, for example, a bank account like this. The bank's 45 miles away. I'm not keen on still having to deal with my mother passing 40 days after. I'm already drained can understand that. Is it an option to leave the account and allow the bills that are currently being drafted out of it to continue until it's overdrafted and they close it on their own? Well, it's $1,000 in there. You could certainly do that, um, but it's not a difficult thing, really, to take over the account. It says, do I have to take time to get the document notarized, make another appointment to close out the account? Uh, the answer is probably yes, unless a notary can come to you, but that's going to be expensive. And then probably have to make another appointment to close out the account and maybe have a check written out to you. Uh, so there's kind of no way around that. If you just ignore the whole thing, you're right. Eventually the account will be closed from um, because it will run out of money. Um, but I would caution if you let that happen, uh, make sure that anything that's being paid out of that doesn't trigger something like, uh, well, now a loan's being called or there's penalties and interest because the the uh, the bill wasn't paid in time. Uh, you have to monitor that very, very closely. But I don't see that there's much of a downside to just letting the money run out as it's paying bills. Okay, um, I have someone who did a revocable living trust and put my uh, real property into the ownership, 
but I want to change the names of my co-trustees and the beneficiaries. Can I remove their names on the property title under the trust? Well, first of all, you would not be putting the names of co-trustees on the title to your property unless they were co-trustees with you right now as opposed to people taking over from you after you have died or become incapacitated. Uh, and as I said earlier in the show, if there's co-trustees on your property right now on the title, you can always uh, have them resign as co-trustees and file paperwork with the county, with the recorder, that says there's a, a notification of uh, change of trustee and the reason being that the trustees have have resigned or have been removed by the grantor, you. Uh, you would generally not have the beneficiaries of the real estate on the property title. The beneficiaries are inside the trust itself, so there'd be no reason to um, deal with the title to change beneficiaries. You just do an amendment to your trust, amending the section that distributes the property and having it now say who you want it to go to instead. So that's kind of the short answer um, to those questions right there. Um, dun, dun, dun. All right, yeah, I already looked at that one. Can't do anything that's... Uh... Okay, um, yeah, that's that's not going to be a good one. Uh, I'd like to know if my mom can make a way to where I can't sell the house because she wants to leave the house to me. Well, unfortunately, I don't have enough time to answer that question. I'm going to put it at the top of my list to bring up on the show next Friday. So, this is attorney Bob Bergman host of Plan Your State Radio, and I'm signing off for today. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and you don't get too wet. Talk with you again next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com, or call his office in San Jose. 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.